When the end, when the end, Hey, yo, friends, fellow wisdom seekers, fellow truth seekers, welcome to the Brave New World Order podcast, straight out the dungeons of podcasting. I am Brandon St. One. Thanks, everybody, so much for joining me for this episode. We continue our descent into the Colbrin Bible as we move along to the Book of Gleanings. This is chapters one and two. Chapter one, Maya and Lila. And chapter two, Eloma. I hope that everybody enjoys this as much as I do. So please let me know. I love hearing from each and every one of you. I love that you're on this journey with me. So let's jump right in to the Colbrin Bible, the Book of Gleanings, chapters one and two. Let's swan dive headfirst into the abyss. Let's go. The Colbrin Bible. Book of Gleanings. The Book of Gleanings. Chapter 1. Maya and Lila. This was formerly called the Book of Conception and said to be the first book of the Bronze Book. It concerns man's conception of the true God in olden days, during the struggle back towards the light. Once, all men were dark and hairy, and in those days, woman was tempted by the strength and wildness of the beast, which dwelt in the forest, and the race of man was defiled again. Therefore, the Spirit of God was wrathful against woman, for hers was the responsibility to reject the beast within and without, that she might bring forth children of the light to walk in the light. For in man there is beast and God, and the God walks in light, and the beast walks in darkness. Now, because of the wickedness that was done, there are among men those who are the children of the beast, and they are a different people. The race of man alone was punished, for the beast acted according to its nature. In man, the beast and God strive to decide whether he shall take his place among the gods that live or the beasts that die. And woman, in her weakness, betrayed him to the beast. Men struggle daily with the beast and rest their living from the soil their day being encompassed with strife and toil. So women bring forth children with suffering, and because they are frail, their husbands rule over them. Man is conceived in the womb of woman, and she brings him forth to life. Therefore, when God raised man up from among the beasts, choosing him as his heir, and endowing him with an immortal spirit. He placed a veil over the portals of life. This, that woman should not forget, she is unlike all other living creatures, and the trustee of a divine mission. 
for a woman not only gives life to a mortal being, she also bears a spark of divinity to earth, and there can be no greater responsibility. The eye that sees earthly things is deceitful, but the eye that sees spiritual things is true. Then, because of the things that happened, the great eye saw that truth was closed, and henceforth, Man walked in falsity, unable to perceive truth. He saw only that which deceived him, and so it shall be until his awakening. Not knowing God, man worshipped earth, who mothered him and supplied his needs. God was not displeased, for such is the nature of children. But when no longer children, they must put aside childish things. Nor, having blinded them, was he wrathful that they could not see. For God is, above all else, understanding. The face of a good father is stern, and his ways are hard. For fatherly duty is no light burden, but his heart is ruled by compassion. His children walk in truth and uprightness. Their feet do not wander, nor are they willful and wayward. Man is born of mud, sun, and spirit. In the days of conception, the Spirit of God impregnated the receptive earth, and she brought forth her children. Then came man who walked like a little child, but God took him in hand and taught him to walk in the uprightness of God. A race of men came out of the cold Northlands. They were under a wise father, and above them was the Grand Company, which later withdrew in disgust. This race was the children of God. They knew truth and lived in the midst of peace and plenty. The children of men about them were wild and savage clothed in the skins of beasts. They lived like beasts. Even more wild were the men of Zumat, who lived beyond them. Among the children of God, woman had equality with man, for her counsels were known to be wise. She heard with understanding, and her speech was considered. In those days, her words were weighed, for then her tongue did not rattle in her head like seed in a dried pod. Woman knew that, though man could subdue her with his strength, he was weak in his desire for her. In his weakness lay her power, and in those days it was used wisely. It was the foundation of the people. The race was good, but because of its goodness, it was destined to be smitten. For only the good vessel is worthy of the fire. It is burnt, that its shape may be set and its design endure. The path of peace is not the path of progress. The people were not governed by princes or by statutes, but wise men sat in council. They had only a code of conduct and a moral tradition binding each one to the others in a symmetrical web of life. Those who transgressed the code and tradition, were deemed to be unworthy of life, 
among the people and were banished into exile. Among the children of men, woman was a chattel. She was subject to man, an object for the satisfaction of his lust and the servant to supply his needs. He subdued her and kept her in servitude. For her betrayal of man was known even among them, and it was never forgotten, nor could it be forgiven. The children of God valued woman highly and protected her from crudeness and cruelty, and her standing was such that she was awarded only to the most worthy of men. They held her in respect, for to them she was the fountain of life within their race the designer of its future. Yet, even so, they had to restrict her, for she was inclined to be willful and unheeding of her responsibility. The people flourished, and from generation to generation grew in stature and comeliness. They were the rising tidewaters of mankind, surging towards its destiny. The right of a man to a mate was decided according to his standard of thought, his uprightness, the manner in which he upheld the code and tradition, and his dealings with man and woman. The fittest men could choose a mate among all women, but lesser men could seek only among the less desirable, according to a known standard. To some, having only the outward appearance of men, no mate was given, while the noblest men could take additional ones from among the ranks of lesser women. Thus, the race ever tended to improve, to accord with its design. The council of the people knew well the strength of man's desire for woman. The force of the urge was not wasted, for their forebearers had harnessed it to the vehicle which carried their race to greatness above others. The race, which could properly channel the forces contained within itself, was ready to control the forces beyond itself. The greatest forces man can harness to his benefit are those lying within himself, but the underlying strength of the people lay in the morality of its women, for this was the strength that governed because it was the safeguard for something of value. Men strive for gold and value it because it is something not easily attained. If gold could be gathered by the handful, men would scorn it. Its power is in its scarcity. Then it happened that one man became arrogant in the strength of his manhood and pride of place. His thoughts inclined towards himself rather than towards the welfare of the people. He scorned the old ways, declaring the code and tradition an unnecessary burden laid on the backs of men. He said, Why should we carry the burden of things which have come down to us from our fathers? How do we know they walked with wisdom? How can we say that what was good for them is good for us? Because of his unruly speech and wayward ways, the council banished him for a time, and had he remained apart, his heart would have been humbled in wisdom. 
but among the children of God, there was a woman, one of the most desirable and fair, who interceded for him so he might return to dwell among them, it being in their code that the wayward could always regain their place. The woman sought him out in the wilderness, and coming upon him said, Though, because of my heart, you appear to me as the finest of men, in the eyes of the elders you are unworthy to claim me. Therefore, I have spoken for you. Now, come, go before them yourself, and say the wilderness has changed your ways. By so doing, you will find favor with the council, and, perchance, I may become your mate. The strength and courage I admire place you high in the regard of men and in favor with the elders. But your wayward and inconsiderate spirit is unworthy of your body. Though you find favor in the eyes of the young and foolish women who see only the outwardness of your body and thereby become more foolish, the eyes of the wise women see your naked spirit and are not deceived. Therefore, disregard the glances of foolish maidens and carry yourself well. Act in such manner that you find favor in the sight of the wise women. And, said she, am I not Maya, the most desirable of women, one whom all men seek? Yet will I remain reserved only for you? Therefore, be not unworthy of me. The man came out of the wilderness and wastelands. He went before the council of wise women and said, What must I do that I may have this woman for a mate? For I desire her above all things, even above my own life. For her, I will become the most worthy of men among the people, her standard being high. I may not possess her otherwise. The wise women answered him, saying, For so long shall you conduct yourself in this manner. And they set him a time and a task, that it should be well. The task was to be done with heart as well as deed. But the man accepted it gladly, his heart not in that day, but in the days to come. The council and the elders said, What the wise women have done is good. It will be well and to the people's benefit. The man rose manfully to the task and was magnificent in his manhood, his new ways gladdening the hearts of all the maidens, many of whom were disturbed by strange stirrings within their breasts. Among these was one less comely and desirable, whose heart burned hotly for him her thoughts resting upon him continually. But she knew that in his sights she was of little account. Her name was Lila. It happened that, arising early one day, she saw the man depart into the forest by the swampland, going about his task, and she took counsel with herself and followed him. She came upon the man while he rested in a place of solitude, and, approaching, spoke softly, saying, It is your servant, Lila. Oh, my lord, 
Are you not wary with the task burdening your days? Also, that you lack companionable gladness to lighten it. Where is she who set the load upon your strong back? Where is my kinswoman who, without doubt, is more comely and more very much desirable than I, and, therefore, a very fitting reward for your heavy labors? Does she rest in the shade, or is she gathering fruit back in the gardens? Without doubt, her thoughts are with you, but is she not unduly hard-hearted in that she fails to comfort you? For is it not in the nature of woman to come to man and lighten his burden with her softness? Is it not in the nature of woman to be yielding and submissive that man may rejoice in his strength? Is it perhaps that, despite her loveliness, the heart of this woman of your desire is not the heart of a woman? Is it like the mock orange, sweet to look at, but bitter to bite? Or is her heart in the keeping of the elders, that she prefers the ways of the old to the ways of the young? What has she done to you? Has she not humiliated your manliness by harnessing it like an ox to the customs of the people? Can it be right that the decrees of old men long dead should come between living man and woman? Is it not more fitting that the customs of men submit to the law of her who gave us our natures? This desirable woman is yours, providing you toil and weight. She is yours, but not without conditions. She does not come without reservations as a woman should, but like a man who comes to an ass, bridle in hand. Alas, that I lack the loveliness which places the yoke upon you, but beneath I lack nothing and am as much a woman as any. My heart burns for you with a flame that comes nigh to consuming my body. Take me, accept my humble offering. I give all freely. I will be yours without any conditions. O oh, my Lord, which of us women truly offers the most? She who concedes nothing, or I who will even be accursed by God and men for your sake. I, who am nothing in your sight, require no sacrifice from you on my behalf. I ask nothing and I offer all a woman can. Then Lila knelt at the feet of the man and placed her head on his knee. The man was sorely troubled in his body, and he wrestled with it, but his spirit brought before his eyes the vision of the more desirable maiden, and he was strengthened. He arose and said, Be gone, and tempt me no more. Then Lila departed and went her way, but within herself she brooded, and in the course of days her thoughts hatched a dark scheme. She mixed a forbidden potion from herbs, and, putting it into a pitcher of water with honey, took it to the man as he toiled in the heat of the declining day. 
Seeing her, the man said, Wherefore have you come again? And she answered him, saying, My lord, your servant brings a much lesser offering, one you need not fear as you did the greater one, a humble gift of refreshment. The day being hot and the toil arduous, the gift was not unwelcome. The man drank heavy from the pitcher, and because of the potion, his spirit slept while the beast entered his body in strength. When the fire of his passion was quenched by the waters of lust, his spirit returned, and he reviled the woman, saying, What have you wrought? Would you destroy me in this manner? The woman replied, The deed is yours, my lord, for you are a man, and I am a woman. Then the man became afraid, for he knew the code and custom. He became angry after the manner of frightened men and shouted, Be gone from my sight, you viper, lest I crush you. Lila answered quietly, My lord, why be wrathful or afraid without cause? For this thing shall be a secret between us. None will ever know of it. Behold, my lord, are you not free again and the yoke removed from your neck? Now you may know the joys a woman can give without submitting to the task. Therefore, take your ease, for life is good to you. The words of the woman were not sweet to the ears of the man, for he was filled with remorse for what had been done. He said, You are not the maiden of my tender desires, in whom my heart delighted, and for whom I gladly undertook the task. What now of her, whose beauty compares with the glory of the sun, whose gentleness caresses as the sunbeam, beside whose brightness you are no more than a gloomy shadow? Lila replied, She is indeed as the sun. You may worship from afar, but never touch, lest you be burnt and destroyed. I am the woman of your body, whom your flesh has chosen. What has this other woman done for you? Did she not sharpen the sword on which you cut yourself? If one lights a fire among reeds, knowing a man sleeps there, who is to blame for his burning? The fire, he who lit it, or the reeds? It is beneath your manliness to turn on me. Thus am I not shamed for your sake, and who among women would invite the wrath of gods and men, as I have done. Be content with the wrong your lust has already wrought. This is an evil deed you have committed, but because we are now united in the flesh, no harm shall befall you through me. Thenceforth, among the people they went their separate ways, but flesh called to flesh, bringing them furtively together in secret places. Each dwelt with the reproachful whispers of their spirit, and each walked in the shadow of fear because of the code and tradition. Now the elders were not without shrewdness, and they saw that the man was no longer diligent in the task and had returned to his former ways. Also, he avoided the eyes of Maya, and was no longer reserved with women. Having sampled forbidden fruit, he 
he now sought other varieties. He was not a man with an end in view towards which he strove. His bearing was not that of a free man. The glances between the man and the woman and their uneasiness were not difficult to interpret. The elders and wise women said among themselves, Such is the manner of those carrying a burden in their hearts, whose shadowy love is a feeble, furtive thing blooming shamefully in the dark and hidden places. Therefore, they set a watch on the pair. The watch came upon them as they lay together in nakedness upon their skins and mocked them with ribaldry, for their passion was profane and a thing for jest. It was a fungus upon the tree of love. They were brought before the high council, which was the council of elders and the council of wise women, which questioned them, saying, Wherefore have you done evil unto us? The man answered, The woman put my spirit to sleep with an evil brew, and my body became weak because of my manhood. They replied, Truly, you have little manhood now, and are a lesser man because of this woman. The woman stood up before the high council and answered them boldly, Am I then the stronger of the two? Can I lift the biggest stone or run the fastest race? Do not the strong always prevail against the weak? And is not this man the strongest among men? Is this even a matter for your concern? For in what way have we caused harm to any but ourselves? Shall we be punished for that which concerns us two alone? and wrongs no other? The high council replied, The deeds of any person affecting the lives of others are the concern of others. Though it were done in secret between yourselves, were not the effects displayed in your eyes for all to see? Does the man serve the people better because of this thing, or does he serve them less well? Has something been added to the people? Or has something been taken away? Have not the people lost? Therefore, is not that which you did the concern of the people and not of yourselves alone? The deed of itself was not wrong, except in the manner of its accomplishment. A woman who places no value on herself steals something from all women, for they are then less valued in the eyes of men. Would men value gold were it gathered by the wayside? Above all this, what of God-given love? Have you elevated or degraded its means of expression among men and women? Among people who value gold above all else, he who debases or adulterates it commits a wrong against them. Here, where love is valued above all else, and woman honored as its custodian. Those who debase it are regarded likewise. We dwell in a pleasant place, amid peace and plenty, an inheritance from our fathers. The children of men have inherited the wastelands. Are our fathers less wise than theirs, that the customs of our fathers 
should be spurned. What you have done relates to your two selves, and by your two selves shall your punishment be carried out. This is not a punishment for any wrong done to us, for we are old, and it affects us little. We punish because we have a duty to the young, to the unborn of our race. We have an even greater duty to the hallowed things which inspire mankind and enthrone man above the beasts. Your wrongdoing affects no one man or woman, yet it affects all men and women, and, if left unheeded, would not be without effect on children yet unborn. The code and tradition is the pillar of our people, and the pillar may not be struck with impunity, though it be strong, and one blow will not damage it. Many blows will bring down even the stoutest pillar. A blow left unheeded encourages another. A deed disregarded is a deed encouraged. A people can be judged by the things it punishes and the things it permits. The swine revels in filth and therefore attacks anyone who enters his pen. Were we holy of the earth, we need only protect earthly things. Thus, we banish you forever from among us, unless in your old age you are permitted in mercy to return. In this manner, were the man and woman banished from the tilled land to wander the wilderness beyond. They dwelt in a cavern in the wasteland, against the outer border of the tilled land, and they ate weeds and wild creatures. There, they were in a place defended from hostile men and made safe from ambushes. In the first days of their banishment, the man was wrathful against the woman and spoke to her spitefully, saying, Like a lamp that gives no light, you are a woman without womanly virtue, no longer deserving of the honored treatment accorded women of our race. You spoke truly when you said that I am strong and you are weak. So be it, henceforth, your weakness shall be my strength. No longer. Will the weakness of man be the strength of woman and the backbone of a people clinging to things without substance? Henceforth, I am obligated to no one and owe a duty to none but myself. Man is weak only in his desire for woman, but the weakness of woman shall henceforth assure satisfaction of the desire. So the man subdued the woman after the fashion of the children of men. She was the wife who ministered unto him, saying, My lord, I am but a woman and your handmaiden. The beasts of the wasteland were the keepers of the woman, and she was in bondage to the barren land, for the wilderness was beyond reach of the waters, a place of desolation, yielding only weeds and thorns. 
the man hunted a field for wild creatures, while the woman delved for roots, seeking sustenance among the weeds. Thus, it happened that one day, being overcome with hunger, the woman went among the reeds growing on the edge of the tilled land, for flowering plants grew there, the roots of which could be eaten. While engaged in gathering, she was seen by a husbandman tilling the fields, who, coming upon her stealthily, said, Woman, I see you. Are you not the one who was banished? If so, the custom decrees you will have to die, for it is forbidden to re-enter the fertile land, having been cast out. Then the woman, being still in the water, loosened her girdle, and letting down her hair, said, Honored, I may no longer be, perhaps die I must, but am I not still a woman while I still live? If you see me otherwise, then as a woman who can please a man by the ways of women, then I say you cannot be a man. Yes, I am the woman your brother seduced, the frail victim of his lust. Perhaps it is better that I die quickly by your hand than starve slowly in the wasteland. Death can hurt me no more than life, which has revealed me to the evil of men. Let me die now for the wrongdoing of your brother. So saying, she came out of the water. The husbandman did not slay, but instead he dallied with her until the evening. The woman said before he departed, This shall be a secret between us, for there is none other nearby to see us here. Give me food that my flesh may be firm and my heart gladdened, that I may come often to this place. Thus, in the days that followed, the woman went many times to the waters and in other places where there were other men. Therefore, she no longer had to delve for roots, nor did she toil in the wilderness. Then, the children of God banished other men into the wastelands because of the woman. And the man, seeing how this came about, said, Is my affliction because of you never to end? The woman answered, My lord, this thing I did for your sake. See these others. Are they not outcasts in the wilderness, men without a chief to rule over them or a hand to guide? Gather them together, that they may hunt for you and serve you. Rule over them, and become powerful. What I have done, I have done for you alone. To your strength will be added their strength, and the loss of the people in fertile lands will thus become your gain. What is there that strength cannot obtain? If your desire is for other women, will not strength obtain them? Therefore, revile me not, because I have now placed in your hands the means to that which you desire. Now I say to you, and speak truly of things only a woman can know, that you are a better man 
than those who live bound to the tilled lands, whose women secretly despise them for their servility to the code and tradition. The man was stirred up by these words and went about and about to the others, approaching them, saying, Behold, we have been cast out because we have followed the ways of men according to the nature of men. Our manhood is good within us. Let it therefore assert itself so our strength may be greater. So it came about that the men who were outcasts entered the fertile, tilled lands stealthily at nighttime, burning the houses and overthrowing the water towers, saying, Let this land rejoin the wilderness. They slew men folk and carried the women and children away. They stole sheep, goats, and cattle. Then they withdrew to the fastness of the wastelands. There they built an encampment and fortified it about with walls and ditches, and they made war upon the children of men and prevailed against them. They ruled their women sternly and made them chattels, buying and selling them like cattle. When man said, Come, the woman came, and when he said, Go, she went. On her yielding back and on her submissive head, he dissipated his wrath. On her servile body, he satisfied his lust. Lila was a true daughter of the woman who betrayed the first race of men. It is written of her that when her sons grew to manhood, she caused them to kill and eat their father so they might gain lifelong strength and wisdom. Man kept woman in bondage, for he knew from his own knowledge of her ways that she was not to be trusted. Henceforth, she could not walk freely among men, for they knew that, though woman was weak and man strong, by womanly guile she could exploit his weakness. Among the outcast people and the children of men, woman was subject to man, and he imposed his will upon her and dominated her. In this manner, woman wrought her own downfall and the destruction of those who held her in high regard. Her charms she cast at the feet of those who trampled them underfoot. Woman was not yet fitted to be the free guardian of the portals of life. She was never wise enough to choose the fathers of the race, for she was ruled by womanly waywardness, not by wisdom. The Book of Gleanings, Chapter 2, Eloma It came about that the sons of the children of God mated with the daughters of the children of men, who knew well the ways of men and were not reserved. The covenant had been broken, and strange women were taken into the households, some even as wives. But though the daughters were lesser women, the sons were wonderfully big and mighty fighting men. These new people came out of the wastelands and crossed to Cothermis, which they divided in three parts between them, and there were rivers on the boundaries. This was when the years of man's life 
were lessened because he became fully earth-sustained, but he remained full of vigor, though filled with hostility towards those who loved. To the east was the land of Ubal, which was mountainous, and the Ubalites were herdsmen. Westward was the land of Chazen, and it joined Ubak on the north. Southward were the land of Uto and the land of Cayman, whose peoples dwelt on the plains and tilled the soil. Some from the households of the children of God went into the land of Chazen and gave the people laws and taught them to build with brick. Nitar and Belet-Sheramam, the sons of Inanari, taught them writing and set their letters on a pillar in Harak. Enkigal, son of Nenduka, built Kerador, which stands between two rivers. Then came the lengthening of the years, when the time of sowing was confused and seed died in the ground. In those days, Enos came up out of Chazen and spoke for the God of the children of men. In those days, there were many, having the blood of the children of God, who inclined their ears towards his words. For they thought the great God of their fathers had abandoned them. Therefore, the enlightening word of God came to Eloma. Eloma, daughter of Kahima, heard the voice of God and was carried into the wilderness unto a place where there was a cave and clear running waters. And she dwelt there for seven years. Eloma, had three sons, and they all heard the voice of God and walked with him. Her firstborn son was Hariana, and he carried the word of God to the children of God, who dwelt in the Northlands, for they had forgotten his ways. He married Didi, daughter of a great king, and became an even greater king. He had many sons, who all became kings among men of renown. Yahama, her second-born son, carried the word of God to those who dwelt towards the sun rising. And Manum, her third-born son, carried it to those towards the sun setting. When the ear of the spirit was opened in Eloma, she returned to her people and became the interpreter of God. In the days when some men left to dwell among the children of men, others came to Eloma and said, Behold, men leave and we become weak, while the children of men become strong. Can this be the will of our Father? Then Eloma called upon God, and he heard her cry and said unto her, let your spirit be at peace, for things happen as they will. It is the grain being winnowed from the chaff. It is always easier for men to follow the ways of the flesh than the ways of the spirit. Yet the deeper man descends into the veil of earthly things, the harder the climb out to the heights of glory.
a generation to go down, 10 generations to rise again. Man must struggle or degenerate, but the path of pleasure is pleasant, while the path of progress is beset with pain and strife. God said to Eloma, his servant, Behold, I have been good to my children. They have been given everything that is pleasant. Everything has come easily to their hand. The lot of the children of men is more harsh, and yet they prosper. Childish things are expected from a child, but when it grows up, more is anticipated. Yet still my children come to me as children. God then said, Go, return to the place from whence you came, and remain there for seven years. And she did so. The seven years passed. Eloma returned to the people, and behold, the fertile fields were unsown. The water channels were dry, and there was desolation in the mists of the waters. Eloma sought among the fields, and when she came upon the habitations, her heart was rent apart, for she saw the daughters of the children of God consorted with the sons of the children of men, and were become unlike true women. Then Eloma said to them, Wherefore has this thing come about? And they answered, Behold, men came from out of the wilderness, and our men were like sheep before wolves. See, even now they labor within a pen of servitude. Eloma then went unto the men and said, Wherefore has this thing come about? They answered her, Behold, the God of the children of men is unlike ours, a God of battles, and we were delivered into their hands. Then Eloma was heavy of heart and called upon God, saying, Behold the plight of your children. And God heard her and answered, I am not indifferent, for their sufferings are my sufferings. They are not under the whips of men, but under the flail of God. The grain is being separated from the chaff. They toil not under the blows of men, but under the hammer of God. They are not imprisoned, but are upon an anvil. I am not the God of battles, not the God of nations, not even the God of men. I am the God of souls, the keeper of the treasures of eternity. I have not turned away from my children. My children have turned away from me, disobeying my laws. This cry will echo down through generations of man. My God, why have you deserted me? And it will come from those who have deserted their God. Arise, go seek among the people, and you will find a maiden who is pure at heart, but she is mocked and degraded by being made a swine attendant. Take her with you and go to Shinara. Guard her well, for she is the daughter of a new dawning. Eloma sought among the people and found Nanua, 
maid of the morning, and they went into Shannara. The voice of God came to Eloma in Shannara, saying, This is the way things shall be with those who aspire to godhood. They must follow only the paths which I have shown through the words of my interpreters. The unfolding spirit residing in those who have the blood of the children of God and the greatness that dwells in men shall be magnified in the blood of their children. Their wisdom shall be greatly multiplied if the tie of blood be strong as good wine becomes bad if diluted overmuch, so is greatness in the blood of man. There is a virtue in the blood of those who forbears were the children of God. And if two people having this blood marry, then this virtue is increased in their children. So it is greater than either parent. There is a law of inheritance from which no man is exempt, for man is governed by the laws of earthly creatures as well as by greater laws. Is not the best ram chosen to sire the new flock? So let women choose the best among men that they can, and let men choose the best among women, and they who heed my words will know which is the best. Let the truly great ones rule. God said, The creative words remain on this side of the veil, but their echoes resound on your side. The real remains here, but its reflection is there. Creation is my mirror. Though it is not without distortions, I have created in spirit and in matter. My thoughts have ranged from the unseeable smallest to the incomprehensible largest. My greatest thoughts form substance for the spirits of the sons and daughters of earth. Truth and justice, perfection of beauty and goodness remain with me, and these you can know on earth only by their reflection. In the universe of truth, all things are free from illusion and are seen in reality, but on earth, even the reflection is distorted. I have created light and called it substance. It is illuminated within by the light of an ever-present love potential. Men call on many gods, though above all there is but one. Yet whatever they call me, I will hear them, for I am the God above names, the God embracing all names. Whatever men believe, if it serves good, it serves God. But gold necklaces are not for sheep, and outward forms of worship must suffice for the spiritually undeveloped. The rituals of men may often be empty ceremonials, but they may also guard the great mysteries behind them. If a man seeks to enter my presence by prayer and says, God, grant me this or give me that, 
the thing will neither be granted nor given unless it be for his spiritual good or benefit of another. I am no huckster bargaining blessings in exchange for worship. Nothing man can give can add to what I have. Also, men do me little honor when they fail to recognize that I am above concern for mere bodies which decay and fall apart when the enlivening spirit leaves them. Yet man is but man. Know that I am a God of understanding and compassion. If man cries out to me in genuine stress and suffering, he will not go unrelieved and uncomforted. Yet understand that suffering and sorrow are the lot of man that he may become man-God. There is also the great law to which man must conform. There are the intricacies of Anidvadu to be unwoven, and the challenging paths of destiny and fate to be followed. Too often, the price to be paid for things done or not done is pain and suffering, sorrow and distress. But where would be the benefit to the debtor were I to wipe out such debts? Yet will I see that never, by even a single grain, will they exceed that which is absolutely necessary and just. On earth, joy and gladness will always outweigh pain and sorrow. Earth is earth. Take it as you find it. Do not expect to find heavenly things there. It is a place of tuition, and the purpose of life is learning. All things of earth are limited and mortal. Immortality will not be found there. When the things of earth have fulfilled their hidden purposes, each passes away, returning to the dust from whence it came. Behold, in the days to come, truth shall be unfolded to all peoples, revealed in a degree and manner which will accord with their needs and capabilities. It will be passed on from generation to generation and from man to man. The purity of its flame will accord with the quality of the oil of spirituality with which it is fed and replenished. Hence, there will be many differing degrees of purity and revelation. The food which one man enjoys may sit heavily on the stomach of another, yet it would be foolish to say that the food enjoyed by one should become the food of all. So it is with the spiritual things which men believe. I will not send prophets, nor will I appoint spokesmen, but such will arise through their own efforts and enter into conscious union with me. They will point the way which will be followed by the spiritually sturdy, but others less strong in spirit must take a slower path, and many will advance only by faith and service, by justice and kindliness towards others. The spark of divinity in man generates inspiring dreams. 
which will ever lure him onward and upward. Yet, the road is long, the journey wearying and often unpleasant. Man has unnecessarily encumbered himself. He has enshrouded his spirit under a winding sheet of earthly passions. With his great eye blinded by indulgence in vice, and his spirit corroded by corruption, his fallible senses only are left to him, and these deceive him into believing the mortal vehicle is his total being. Affliction and decay are now the lot of man, and he has passed into a long, dark night of ignorance. Now, only by journeying the long and painful road of earthly experience can his soul be cleansed and awakened to the realization of the glory within him. Man may conceive me as he will, and it will be well. I am not a god of pettishness. As I brought forth the creation, so shall he bring forth the revelation of his God. Unto you, Eloma, my child, I grant the keys of communion and union. Then Eloma went out among the people and taught them about their creator in this manner. I bring you the soul-whispered words of God, the eternal tower of strength, the fathomless ocean of compassion. He has hung the earth in the void, surrounding it with nothingness, yet by his power it remains in its appointed place. He veils his glory behind the shield of illusion, lest it overpower the spirits of men. He is obscured by the dark cloud of mortal ignorance. He is the inspirational spirit ever entering the hearts of man, striving to arouse them to reach towards greatness and achievement. He has molded the sky above us and bedecked it with splendor and awesome beauty. He taught the stars their song of joy and the winds their wondrous music. All the widespread earth proclaims his creativity, while the high vaults reveal his skill and handiwork. His messages go out to men, not in the speech of men, but in wordless whispers to their hearts. His finger prescribes a course for the fertilizing waters which nourish the desolate sands, making tender buds burst forth from the dead soil. The soft waters caress the ground, and pastures arise to become the habitations of great flocks and herds. The rose unfolds its beauty to honor him, and the woodbine delights him with perfume delivered upon the wind. The cornfields bow in humility, then the wheat stalks raise upwards in praise. The trees spread wide their worshiping branches, and the barley heads whisper together of his sun-giving bounty. He is the fountainhead of all life, the overseer of the fertilizing waters, and the captain of the stars. 
men stand beneath the great dome of the night skies and are overawed by the work of their architect and by the bright mysteries displayed in such a pattern of beauty. They become dismayed at their own smallness, but are reassured by his words, which have come down to them from ancient times. God has crowned man with life and set the scepter of intellect in his hand. He has given him the flail of mastery over all other living creatures and set him on the throne of creation. He disciplines us when young and stretches out a welcoming hand when we near the end of life's journey. He accompanies men on their pilgrimage along the road of life, mitigating their misfortunes and rejoicing with them in its pleasant surprises. He balances the lives of all men so they continually encounter conditions and situations meet for them. The widespread, mysterious heavens are his throne, and bountiful earth his footstool. No structure man could build would contain him. Did he need a residence? No place built by the hands of man could compare with that, which his hands could erect. There is nothing on earth that man can give God, which could add to God's glory or increase what he has. The only acceptable sacrifice man can offer is service to the will of God, and God's will is that man should spiritualize himself and improve the earth. To offer goods or money as a sacrifice is an insult to God. It is shirking the needful effort evading the necessary duty and obligation. It is the easy way and not acceptable. God is the refuge of the poor and the comforter of the needy. His compassion encompasses men when troubles weigh heavily upon them. Yet, tribulation and adversity, sorrow and suffering are not to be thought of as needless burdens imposed upon the difficulties inseparable from earthly life. They are things of value which open the eyes to truth, tempering the spirit as iron is tempered in the flame. Eloma taught many things, and she forbade any man to fornicate with unwedded matrons whose silver tongue beguiled and whose winsome ways led men astray. She also decreed that men should not fornicate with any maid or another's wife, for none so doing could call himself an honorable man, and such deeds canker the spirit. It was Eloma who taught men the wisdom of the stars, which journeyed according to their destinies. She taught them to interpret the pattern of each man's life, which is woven from the threads of fate and destiny, and interwoven with the many-colored strands of Enidvadu. These things were learned and written down by Ishkika. The End of the Book of Gleanings, Chapters 1 and 2 All right, everybody, that was the Cobran Bible. 
the book of gleanings chapters one and two thank you all so much for coming along with me on this journey i hope that you're enjoying the Colburn bible as much as i am enjoying reading it and i would love to hear from you hear what your thoughts are you can email me the brave new world order podcast at gmail.com follow me on x slash twitter at brave nwo podcast and on spotify answer the q a's that's attached to every episode i love hearing from each and every one of you and also leave a review like subscribe share this with your friends and your family i thank everybody who already does that and if you want to help support the show financially there are a couple links in the show notes for you if you want to help if not that's cool too I am just so grateful for everybody joining me on the journey because that's what it's all about, everybody. More Colbrin Bible to come, plus much, much more. Thanks, everybody, for joining the Brave New World Order podcast. Much more to come. I am Brandon St. One. You will be hearing from me very soon. In the meantime, stay positive, question everything, and think for yourself. Much love, everybody. Peace.